Hello, everybody. Tony Cook here again, and it's good to be back with you for session three of uh, the end of Spectator Church. This is from my book, and hope you'll access that. And you, you'll get a lot more out of the book because what we're covering verbally is just a, a fraction of what's in the book. But also, you're going to get a lot through discussion and and talking to one another about you know what's God saying to you about this, and how how can this be applied in your life? Because ultimately, each of us has to work out our own salvation, like Paul said with fear and trembling and you know kind of determine uh you know where we can best channel our efforts for the benefit of other people and for the glory of god but we're talking about the end of spectator church which means that no believer was ever designed to be fruitless uh, no believer was ever designed just to stand on the sidelines and watch and observe and spectate. We're all called to be a part of the team. We're all pa- called to be in the game. And I understand that different people will serve differently. We've, we've been stressing how that the Bible teaches that God says we've all been given different types of gifts or different types of functions. But how do we take our differences? How do we take our diversity and our variety? And how do we bring them together into a harmonious whole uh, for the life of God to really come out of his people, his church. So we're looking at Romans chapter 12, and we want to read this again. New King James Version, Romans chapter 12, verses 4 through 6. Paul says, For as we have many members in one body, but all the members do not have the same function. So we, being many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another, having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, let us use them. So it's one thing to know that you have a gift. It's another thing to use that gift. And Paul gave us seven examples of how these different, the grace that God puts in us, which results in gifts coming out of us, seven different ways that these can be expressed. Now, let me just tell you this. I don't think there's only seven ways. I think Paul gave us a list of, it's kind of like Paul is saying, for example, and he, he does list seven, but you know, really a few verses later in Romans chapter 12, he, he, he says, he talks about people who exercise hospitality. So that could join the list. And probably, you know, there's many others, but I don't know that Paul decided to exhaustively uh, provide this list and this is it and no other. Nor do I think that Paul made this list to be exclusionary. In other words, let's just say, for example, we have prophecy, teaching, exhortation, ministry or serving, giving, leading, and mercy. So let's just say you decide, uh, and it's a little bit, uh, I, I don't think we should just say, well, this is who I am, this is what I am, and I can't do anything else. For example, okay, so I'm up here teaching, and you know, after 43 years of public ministry, 
you know, I, I, in my heart, I feel like God has given me a teaching gift. That doesn't mean I can't show mercy to somebody. Uh, that doesn't mean I can't serve. You know, if, if we're having a church service or something right now instead of a small group, and, you know, the pastor said, well, hey, we need some of you to help move chairs. You know, I, I don't stick up my nose and say, well, I'm just a teacher. I can't move chairs. You know, I'm somebody else is called to do that. We can all roll up our sleeves and pitch in and serve God in different ways. Um, we shouldn't be such a diva, such a prima donna, uh, so think so highly of ourselves that we think that we can only do one thing and one thing only. And actually, a lot of these that Paul lists, in some ways, they're areas that a person can have special grace in. But in other ways, some of these things are general Christian responsibilities. You know, you can do things that you're not necessarily highly called and highly anointed to do. For example, let's say you don't feel like you're a teacher. You don't feel like God's given you that gift. You feel like you're better equipped to serve behind the scenes. But you've been talking to somebody at your workplace and, um, you know, they know you're a Christian. They know you go to church. And they're just kind of checking things out. And and they say to you, hey, did, did you go to church yesterday? You know, say it's Monday. Did you go to church yesterday? And um, you say, yes, yes, I did. What, what did your preacher talk about? And, you know, you immediately remember a couple of the things that your your pastor said. What are you going to do? Are you going to teach them? Uh, you, you, now, you may not teach them the way your pastor taught them, but you can teach at a basic level. You can say, well, yesterday the preacher talked about how we're to love one another and we're to forgive one another. You know, you can do a little teaching there without necessarily being called to be a teacher to the body of Christ. You know, for example, on giving, you know, you may have noticed that... Uh, uh, Paul lists giving, and he says in Romans twelve eight in the NLT, if your gift is giving, give generously. Well, what if somebody reads that and says, well, you know, I don't know why the pastor always gets up and encourages all of us to tithe and encourages all of us to give honorings, offerings and things like that. Um, I may not have the gift of giving. Okay. See, we can use these as a cop out if we're not careful. You know, you come up, something happens, and you come up, say, Brother Cook, I need to ask your forgiveness. And I say, No, it's just stop right there. I don't have the gift of mercy. I'm not going to forgive you. No, that, that's all of these are distortions. Let me give you an example. I, I met a man once who had what I believe was a genuine gift of giving operating in his life. He came up to me many, many years ago, two decades or more ago, uh, maybe as many as 30 years ago. And he said, uh, Brother Cook, I want to share something really exciting with you. And I said, sure, what is it? And he said, well, for years I struggled because I would hear you pastors up and you'd be talking about the call of God and obeying the call of God. And he said, I felt God had called me but he said, at the same time, I felt terrified about public speaking. 
And he said, I, I didn't know how to rationalize this because I felt called, but I didn't want to preach. And he said, but one of you was up some time ago and you explained from Romans 12 how that people have different gifts, different functions. And one of those you said was giving. And he said, my wife and I looked at each other and said, that's it. God has called us, but he's not called us to preach. He's called us to be givers. And, and he shared some things that were really funny to me, um, you know, very unusual. He told me that um, the offering had always been the favorite part of the church services. They enjoyed the collection of the tithes and offerings more than everything else. You know, if you ask most people, what do you like most about church? I think probably you're going to get three major answers. Um, you're going to get, well, I love the worship. I love the word. And I love the fellowship. I understand that. though. Those are highly desirable things. You know, um, as we love God, we should love to worship. Um, there are people who wish that the, the worship was much longer and the sermon was much shorter. Um, there are people who aren't really geared. They're not real experiential people. You know, they love God, but they express their love for God by learning more about him. They wish the worship was shorter and that the message was longer. And then there's some people that, you know, yeah, the worship is okay. The word is okay. But I just love coming to church and fellowshipping. I love meeting with my friends and, you know, that type of thing. So different people. I think people are wired a little bit different and, and that's okay. But this man said, you know, all those things are great. But he said, my, for my wife and I, the, the best part of church is when they receive the offering. We love giving more than anything else. And he said, as a matter of fact, he said a few years ago, when we began to understand this, he said, we'd always given 10%, but we resolved that we were going to up our giving to 20% and live off 80%. And then the next year, to do the same thing, another 10% incremental increase and live off 70%. And he said, our goal is to um, get to the point where we are giving 90% of our income and living off of 10% of our income. And he said, of course, that's going to require a lot of increase and blessing from God. But he said, that's our goal. And here's the beautiful thing about it. See, some people, they give because they feel guilty for not giving or they feel pressured to give. This guy was not just celebrating being able to give 30% of his income, saying that's the favorite part of the church service, but he was looking forward to the day when he could give 90% of his income to the Lord. Now, you may be listening to that and saying, man, I don't relate to that at all, you know, but, but boy, I sure love, you know, being in the lobby and welcoming people and greeting people to church. I love cooking for people and, you know, making food for people. And somebody else says, well, I can't relate to that. I don't want to give 90%. I can't even envision that, but boy, I can envision going to the prisons and I can envision going to the nursing homes. I can envision working with the children and working with 
the youth. I can envision, you know, teaching and, you know, reaching into homeless shelters and things like that. See, different people will have certain uh, passions for doing things and 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 I want to celebrate that but on this at the same time I want to say this you don't just serve God because you have a passion for it you serve God because it's the right thing to do you know I, I'm a husband my wife and I have been married for 44 years as of June of 2023 and I love my wife and I like my wife and all that but but there are some household responsibilities that I have. I have to take out the trash every Wednesday. Every Wednesday morning, my wife expects me to roll the barrel of recyclables out and roll the trash barrel out, you know, to the curb for the trash and recycle service to come by. Can I tell you what, something? I don't have a passion to do that. I don't get excited about doing that. But you know what? It's a husbandly responsibility for me to do that. So I want to encourage people to do what they're gifted to do. I want to encourage people to, you know, find what they're best fitted for. Um, But at the same time, I don't want people to get so, ah, what's the term? Um, so picky that they think they can only do certain things that they're specifically gifted and anointed to do. You know, sometimes we just roll up our sleeves and pitch in because we're part of the family and we just do what needs to be done. We don't have to have any goosebump experience or any, you know, special call to do certain things. We just do it because we're part of the family and, and we feel a responsibility uh, to do certain things. Let me share with you something that A.W. Tozer said. He said, in the early church, everybody was a part of the ministry team. Everybody was expected to go out into the world and preach the glorious, redeeming message of Jesus Christ. Certainly, uh, there were categories such as elders and bishops and apostles. The church ran quite efficiently by all Christians working together, each of them knowing where they belonged and doing their part. So this, to me, this material is so important. Let's go back and look at just one item. Let's look at leading. Uh, Paul says in Romans 12, 18 in the New Living Translation, if God has given you leadership ability, take the responsibility seriously. Every single one of these can be done on varying degrees. For example, mercy. Every single believer can show basic mercy. We're commanded to do that. You know, Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount told us to be merciful. He didn't say be merciful if you have a special gift for it. But when Paul brings in the fact that there is a special grace of mercy, you know, for example, I look at Mother Teresa you know, of Calcutta, India. She went home to be with the Lord many years ago, but my goodness, she and her sisters um, had homes for the dying, homes for the homeless, uh, homes for orphans, uh, all kinds of different 
everything was based on compassion and mercy. Many times just, you know, pulling people out of the gutters and bringing them into a place where they could be fed a little broth and washed off and given a blanket before they die. But I mean, it was just, it was, it was mercy on steroids. So not, not everybody's going to do mercy at the level she did mercy. But I know I met a guy in a church in Arizona a few years ago, and he had been saved. He had been a very wealthy, successful guy who had, you know, the best home, cars, the trophy wife, the trophy kids, everything that, you know, people would call success. And he lost everything through cocaine addiction and um, ended up living for a couple of years under a bridge as a homeless person. And some people came and talked to him about Jesus and offered to help put him through a a faith-based rehab program. And he got saved and he got sober and he was in recovery. And he was, you know, after living in a shelter for men for probably a few years, he he finally was able to get a job, you know, not a high-paying executive job, but just, a you know, kind of an entry-level job and was able to share an apartment with a guy who is also in recovery. And, um, you know, they weren't making much money, but every time they got together, you know, when they got their paychecks, they would tithe to God. They would pay their bills. They'd buy their, you know, stuff. And they always had a little bit left over. So they would buy a little bit of sandwich meat and some bread and, you know, some chips and bottles of water. And they'd make, you know, five or six uh, bags of lunch, you know, lunch bags and things like that. And together they would go under the bridge and find people who were addicted like they had been and tell them about Jesus and give them something to eat. And they had offered to help get people into the same kind of recovery program. Now, listen, that's nothing along the magnitude of what Mother Teresa did. But don't let the fact that you can't do something like you say, well, I can't give 90% like that one guy did. But if God's calling you to a special grace of giving, start where you are and do what you can and do it according to the level of faith you have of where you are. You may not be able, if you're called to a ministry of mercy, um, you may not be able to uh, do uh, what uh, or what Mother Teresa did, but maybe you could do something like what the guy did with a few sandwiches every week. Um, you know, if you're called to prophecy and speak inspiring, encouraging words to others, you know, you may not start out as a prophet to the nations. You may never end up a prophet to the nations, but you might be a person who's really sensitive to the Holy Spirit and gives good words of encouragement to people. Simple prophecy does not involve predicting the future does not involve you know revelation gifts you know it may just be as simple as a kind encouraging word but here's the point Uh, we are many members in one body but we don't all have the same function so let's find our function and let's flow in it 
But let's just have a general attitude of I'm going to serve God however. I'm going to do whatever my hand finds to do. And when I have the opportunity to do something I feel especially called to, that's kind of the icing on the cake. That's kind of special. But let's just all be ready to serve God. You know, Paul said in Galatians, uh, as you have opportunity to do something good, do it. Uh, especially to those that are of the household of faith. So let's just mainly look for opportunities and, and let's not be so self-centered that we think that, you know, our gift has to always be on display. Let's just have the gift of serving and helping others. You know, Jesus had, uh, he, he was called to do many things, but he also just washed the disciples' feet because he had the opportunity to do it. So to me, those are some really good, good thoughts. Hey, we've got a few minutes left in this session. I want you to turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 9. And I want us to look at something that to me, oh, this was so instrumental in my development. Uh, when I became a Bible school student in 1979, I had just been spirit-filled for a little over two years. So I was still pretty young in the things of God. And I knew I had this calling stirring on the inside of me, but I didn't know exactly what it was going to look like. But, um, you know, when I went to Bible school, Brother Hagen would often quote Matthew chapter 9, verse 35. In the, King, in the New King James, it says, Then Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. And then Brother Hagen would stop and say, Jesus did three things in his ministry. What were they? And because he had done this many times with us as students, we would all shout out, teaching, preaching, healing. And, and that just stuck with me. And, and that became my point of reference for what ministry was. And unfortunately, I really didn't read the rest of it. And we'll get to the rest of it. But my mentality as a 20-year-old Bible school student in 1979, for then a couple years, was that ministry was teaching, preaching, and healing. And all of it had to be public. That was just the way I saw it. Because, you know, we were in a Bible school. We had a great man of God and 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 he would just he would do conferences and seminars and he would teach and he would preach and of course that's from the pulpit and then he'd call the sick to come down and he'd pray for he'd have a healing line and all that type of thing and all that is wonderful the problem is i thought that was the sum total of ministry number 1 all ministry had to be public Number two, all ministry had to be centered around or right in front of the pulpit. And so to me, that was ministry. Everything else was so secondary. Everything else was so far down that, you know, I, I, I would, well, yeah, there is a ministry of helps, but, you know, that's so far down the ladder. And, and, and ultimate ministry is teaching, preaching, and healing. 
But then what I came to understand years later, uh, as I became an assistant pastor, I actually spent nine months as a church janitor. I am so thankful for that. Um, All of us should be happy to help with the building where God's people meet. But I think there is a very special reward in heaven for custodians and janitors. I just believe that. Um, But um, then became an associate pastor. And so many of the things that I did as an assistant pastor didn't involve the pulpit. It was all stuff behind the scenes. And I thought it was kind of inferior, second-class ministry. But later I saw that after Jesus had taught and preached and healed, it says in verse 36, this is the New Living Translation, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were confused and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. The Amplified Bible says they were bewildered, harassed, and distressed, and dejected, and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. So I saw in Matthew chapter 9, verse 35, Jesus introduces teaching, preaching, and healing. I would kind of call that the ministry of the Word and the Spirit. But even after Jesus had done the best teaching, preaching, and healing that anybody could have ever done, he looks around and sees the multitudes, the very ones he had just ministered to, and he sees they're still having problems. They're still having issues. They're scattered. They're confused. They're dejected and things like that. After They had gotten the best teaching, preaching, and healing services that could ever be. And all of a sudden, I realized there's more to ministry than just what happens in the pulpit. And when Jesus saw these hurting people, he had compassion on them and said they were like sheep without a, not a teacher, not a preacher, not a healing evangelist, but they were like sheep without a shepherd. The shepherd's ministry is different. You see, people can teach lessons but not have a shepherd's heart. You know, people can be on television and traveling and things like that. And they're focused on their content. And they can be wonderful people. But, but they don't necessarily love the people they're ministering to. It's one thing to love to minister. It's a totally different thing to love the people you minister to. And I say this as somebody who's been doing this for 43 years. Um, You can fall in love with ministry without being in love with people. And Jesus, of course, Jesus loved the people. But he said they need more than just the teaching and the public things and all that. They need a shepherd. And the shepherd to me can be one of two things. You know, churches have a shepherd, a, a general overseer who they oversee and feed the flock overall. But then there's the shepherd relational 
uh, function where people just, they just really love the people. They spend time with people one-on-one. And see, these two things were never meant to be contradictory. They were meant to be supplementary and complementary. And then, so Jesus said, yeah, we need the teaching, preaching, and healing, but then we need the one-on-one relational ministry. And then he said in verse 37 and 38. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest truly is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Now Jesus introduces a third level of ministry, and that is just people who work, laborers. So not everybody's going to be a teacher, preacher, healing evangelist. Not everybody's going to be a pastor, but we can all be a little bit at least relational. Many people, you know, can have a real shepherd's heart without necessarily even standing in the office of the pastor, but we can all be relational and loving and kind to one another, encouraging one another. And then in verse 37 and 38, he Praise for laborers. I believe that all of us should fit in one of those three categories, maybe two of those categories, maybe in some cases we stand in all three of those categories. We need the ministry of the Word and the Spirit. We need the pastoral relational touch, but then we just need people who are just going to be workers. Jesus prayed for workers in the kingdom of God. And every church I know of is always asking, we need people to volunteer. We need people to serve. We need people to help. This is not my idea. This is what Jesus prayed for. God bless you. Isn't that excellent? You know, we're all called to the ministry of reconciliation. And what does that do? That brings people to Jesus. Amen. It's such a precious honor to be able to be called to that. And so we just encourage you just to step out and to step into that in Jesus' name. So before we break into our small groups, we want to say goodnight to our online audience. We want to remind you that the discussion questions are on our website at heartofthebay.org. Just click on the small group rotating header and you can find them there. So we hope to see you Sunday morning. And until then, God bless you and good night.